Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Cross Border Interview Podcast. My name is Christopher Brown, and I will be your host. Since the launch of the podcast, I've been asked the exact same thing. Why am I doing this? This podcast is about talking to people in an intimate setting and just having a discussion. Today, we find ourselves often becoming keyboard warriors and have forgotten the lost art of having a conversation. So with that in mind, in 2019, I started this podcast to achieve one goal, get people talking again. With no notes, no prepared questions, I sit down with the subject to learn about them from them. Today's guest is no exception to that. Today, I sit down with Saskatchewan-born musician Jeffrey Straker. Jeffrey is a folk singer who has never forgotten his roots. Jeffrey and I chat about growing up in a small rural community, his journey to writing music and performing, and how he enjoys performing smaller home concerts as well as large concerts and festivals. We also discuss his newest single that was released in March of this year, Light a Fire. So, enjoy cross-border interviews featuring Jeffrey Straker. Do you mind if I just call you Jeffrey? Is that okay? Yeah. Okay, because I was like, should I call him Mr. Stryker? Like, how do I, how do yeah, I? You should, you should refer to me as Jeffrey Stryker Esquire every time you say my name. Okay. <laughs> when I do the introduction post-production, uh, I will I will make sure Esquire is put in every single thing. <laughs> um, so my, my first question usually is to, uh, for musicians is, where did your um, passion to entertain and uh, write music come from? Well... Um, I mean, I've always had a passion for music ever since I was. I started. I started lessons when I was six. My mom put me in piano lessons, um, you know, at a very early age. Um, and and I mean, I think yeah. So then, like the entertaining or the playing for people came first, because what, where that came from was. Um, playing at recitals, playing at the local music festivals, playing at local talent shows, you know, maybe singing a song in church or whatever it was, right? Um, And there was just something about it that I really enjoyed. And I I, I do remember from a very, like even those very first performance, you can call them performances, they weren't performances, whatever they were, sharing of music, right? Um, It was never about the applause for me. Like I'm not uh, I, I, I have some friends who unabashedly will say, you know, I love the applause. Um, some some would say that I, I've never been about the applause. What I do remember, though, like from some of the first times is you could see the expressions on people's faces in those smaller rooms where music was doing something for them. The idea of share, like the, the, the going through the the action of sharing music did something for the people listening and I, and I was always aware of that so I think from a very early age that turned me on to being uh, you know a person who entertains shares music whatever like I like the idea and I I was like sort of an interpreter of songs so uh, but way before I became uh, to answer the second part of your question before I ever started writing my own stuff like I was, I'm classically trained so I was always interpreting songs that someone else had written and playing those at recitals and festivals and things um and re- and you know it wasn't until i was maybe you know in my 20s that i started to actually write songs and 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 i think that was maybe an extension 
of the discovery of sharing music. And I think what I ultimately sort of just discovered sort of the next phase of that was, oh, I, well, I can turn my own feelings into something that I will then share versus interpreting other people's feelings, you know? So it's fascinating. I don't think anyone has ever asked me this question before, but so it's, it's, it's interesting thinking about this actually. So I hope that makes sense. It does. It does. And, uh, um, so you said you were classically trained. Your mother put you in uh, classes. Uh, did your mother foster your uh, musical uh, upbringing, or was she musically inclined as well, or was your father as well? They both were. Mom was a piano player. Dad, uh, and she was very good. She played by note and by ear, and she was classically trained. Um, Dad played banjo, but like way less, um, more of like like just like a little bit. But but everyone had some music in them. But mom put us, my brother and my sister and I, all into piano lessons with the local teacher. Thank God we had a local teacher in this tiny town in Saskatchewan. Um, but yes, yeah, she wanted us all to kick the can, and, you know, see how far we could make it go, so to speak. And uh, I really like kicking the can, and I. Uh, practiced a lot like I really wanted to impress Mrs. Young and so I practiced um, from the get-go it was strange like and I really enjoyed practicing and I really enjoyed getting better it was it was like uh, it was it was freaky <laughs> so the, like I'm glad I did. was your was your brother and sister the same way or because when my parents used to force me into do to do something I would always try to rebel and say no I don't want to do that uh, was that anything like you because it sounds like it wasn't but did your brother and sister do that no you're you're right my brother and sister did not do that like my brother <laughs> Um, just didn't like playing the piano. I mean, he and he was actually he was not bad at it. He, he, I think he played it to like sort of grade three piano. Then he, he quit because mom said that was he would he could quit then. Then he played a bit of guitar, but ultimately, playing an instrument wasn't his thing, and he didn't like to practice. My sister practiced the bare minimum that she had to to get through her lessons. Um, she she's very musical. She actually sings a lot of harmony. A lot of shows that are kind of close to home, she sings with me. Um, but for piano. It just like, you know, drilling piano into her everyday regime wasn't just something that sort of, you know, tickled her fancy. So, you know, I was the weird one where I really liked to sit down at the piano and just play that thing. And I really wanted to get get good at it. And I think I just sort of knew that the only way that was going to happen is if I practiced. And don't get me started on the youth of today. <laughs> well, we will talk about that later. <laughs> exactly. Um, but you, you talked about Miss Young. I'm assuming that was your first teacher. Mrs. Young was my first piano teacher in my little town of Punishai, Saskatchewan. And she um, she had this great deal, sort of this, um, not deal, but this arrangement with the, the principal of our elementary school where she rented a living room in the house right across the street because she lived on a farm. So she'd come into town, rented this living room. And because our very small town elementary school didn't have any music or arts programming, what the the deal was, was the, the principal let anybody who wanted to take a lesson from Mrs. Yeah, you could just whenever your scheduled time was, you could walk out of whatever class you were in and go take your piano lesson. And Mrs. Young ta also taught other instruments, so you could go do any instrument, just walk out of your class and go do it. And uh, you know, at the time, I did not realize how special that was, and it, it you know it took a lot of hindsight to understand what a great arrangement that was. And today, that would never happen. Like to have a child leave the school, that oh. would never happen. <laughs> Like walk across the street. Ah! <laughs> I know. So, what was your first performance as a kid? Do you remember that first performance where you were able to get on stage? Was it at a high school uh, recital or a school recital, or was it a local pub in uh, your hometown? I'm assuming not because it was a small hometown. But what was that yeah, first? No. Uh, what was that first performance for you where you said, "This is what I want to do." 
you know there it, it's funny i i don't think there was a single one that like I, I didn't have a switch go on or a light go on any specific concert but but there, there were a, a series of small town um sort of concerts or variety shows or whatever high school talent shows what have you and i mean it, it doesn't take very long in a small town to realize that you know, you're getting called upon to do all the talent shows because, and you can't let it go to your head because you realize there's just not a lot of people to choose from so but but i really enjoyed doing it but you know those were all kind of the same but the one that sort of stands out to me that sort of did something for me was a neighboring um I guess city, large large town city called Yorkton had a local TV station, and and that TV station had a um, a televised weekly talent show called Profile, and uh, it was kind of a big deal in its day. And my sister and I sang on it. Uh, Mom played the piano, and my sister and I sang. I think I was about ten, maybe yeah, eight eight eight, eight nine ten somewhere there. And we just we sang for half the show, and we sang duets. And Mom played the piano. And I just remember really liking. And sort of feeling something special about being in that TV studio, even though it was like you know ridiculously small, or whatever. At the time, I was basically in Carnegie Hall, right? In my in my mind, and uh, you know, we, we sang our songs, and I just I loved it. Like there was something just special about sharing music to what I knew was a bigger audience than I ever got to sing for, even though they weren't exactly in that room, right? So that was a bit of a turning point for me, maybe. But but strangely. And that was singing. Really, most of my 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 playing at the talent shows and things was the piano. Like I I played the piano. That 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 funny thing, that little TV thing, was singing. But really, in all these talent shows and local performances, I was the piano guy. I wasn't really a singer. I had no interest in singing, really. Even though I I guess I could sing, but I really liked the piano. So yeah, but that was a turning point for sure. So um, what what were your go to music at the time? Uh, what what were you listening to to get inspiration? You say you're uh, uh, you're trained, but was it classical music that you were going to to listen to the piano, or was it other like musicians? What was your go too when you were growing up it's funny i had such a hodgepodge of i got a real eclectic range of of um styles and performers and tastes that i sort of listened to it was all over the map and it's still it so that's not changed but i did listen to a fair bit of classical piano music which was weird for a young teenager in a small town um but I listened to a lot of country music because everyone was, and like in that day, it was like the Kenny Rogers and the Dolly Partons and the and the the Good Brothers and um, you know all, all these all these people. But then there was like Elton John and um, Billy Joel and and uh, and then uh, Neil Young and Joni Mitchell and, and a lot of them were just like records my parents had. But some of it was music I was finding too. But but it was all over the map, and and I just found something that I liked in all of it and I, and I think what I liked in all of it ultimately was melody like I'm a very melody driven person um, um, so so yeah yeah I, I, it, was, it was it was it was it was pretty buried so so you go through high school I'm assuming you're still with Miss Young during this time as well uh, for part of it but what happened was Mrs. Young um uh, she at a certain point handed me off, if you will, to to, to Mrs. McTavish in the next town, and so because Mrs. Young, well, she was a very good, a very good piano player and uh, all around musician. Mrs. McTavish in the next town taught at a higher level, and Mrs. Young knew that. And Mrs. McTavish had a daughter who was a bit of a prodigy, and um, and and she's she's still she's an amazing uh, so she handed me over to Mrs. Young uh, to to Mrs. McTavish in Raymore. Off I went and studied with her for about three years, and then she ultimately handed me over to um, 
a professor at the University of Regina when I was in grade 10, 11, and 12 to drive in once a week and do piano there. Wow. So um, going through all that, going through Mrs. McTavish and then going to a university at grade 10, yeah. does your ego get a little bit big at that time and say, well, look at me, I, I look at where I'm going to go here? Or did your mom ground you in some sense and say, OK, let's rein it in, Jeffrey. Let's like like while you're going to university at grade 10, you're still the homeboy who has to do their chores. Yeah, I mean, I it never it never went to my head. I, I don't think. I mean, it it certainly could have. But but small towns have their own way built into the fabric of the quirky little culture that they foster of keeping you you uh, from getting too big in your britches. <laughs> from a home small town, so I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> and I I couldn't even really put my finger on it, but they just do. And I mean. <laughs> In, to, and to clarify too, I was I was going into the university to, to the conservatory at the university, so it wasn't like I was a university uh, student in grade ten, but I was studying university level piano. Um, and, and and you know you you don't I think everyone in their life doesn't understand much about themselves until you compare a little bit to others. Like otherwise, like perspective is is, is a lot. And um, I played one of the first piano competitions I played in in my first year at the conservatory. You know, I was like this grade ten small town guy with hay falling out of the cuffs of my pants. And, uh, and 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 so I played in this competition at the conservatory against university students, and and I won. And um, and so that kind of went to my head momentarily, but. Um, um, you know, the first thing my teacher did was just give me harder songs. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, okay. So that, that wasn't so great. <laughs> Maybe but, um, winning is not always the best thing to do. Yeah, exactly. But, um, yeah, but I mean, I, I really, I loved learning the repertoire. It was, it was a lot. Like, there were big big classical meaty works like by the big, com big composers and um i mean it's it's nothing that i play now and i look back on it I, there was a time when i looked back on it and i wondered oh did i study too much like did i take too much time doing that um but thankfully ultimately i concluded no like i'm grateful for the music education that i that i, that I had um it was wonderful to have i mean it's 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 sad that in in canada by and large we don't value um, a lot of music education, particularly in the, in the smaller centers, but it's even defunded in the larger centers. We don't value it enough to make it a core part of our learning. Um, and so particularly in small towns. So I'm very grateful that I had these series of small town music teachers to allow me to get a music education. Otherwise, it simply wouldn't have happened. Like, you know, if it were up to sadly, uh, and I'm, I'm a huge advocate of public education, but if it had been up to the public education system, I would not have received a music education. Um, and it's 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 sad. I, I feel bad for people who are musically inclined who can't afford private lessons. It's, it's yeah. So um, you graduate high school. Did Was there ever a moment when you were getting in that grade 12? Because, uh, in Ontario, we go to grade 13. Well, we did go to grade 13, but in Saskatchewan, yeah. we go to grade 12, correct? You're right. Okay. So in, in grade 12, was there a thought, okay, do I move away? Do I go to a bigger city like Toronto, Montreal, where I might get a little bit more diversity with my music uh, background? Or do I stay in Saskatchewan and stay with the University of Regina? Well, there was a decision to make, um, <laughs> for sure. And so what happened was I graduated high school and I and then I got a scholarship to study a year of piano at the University of Virginia's Conservatory of Music, and so uh, 
you know, of course I said, yes, I'll take the scholarship. And so I, I basically, I just studied piano for a year and I was a waiter. I was a room service waiter at the Regina Inn and uh, I, I studied piano and it was pretty great. And I mean, but ultimately what I learned, was, I was that, uh, you know, I, I, I was able to then really get my wits about me and realize the path that I'm on, you know, studying classical piano at that level, you're going to probably, like, you should be aiming to do one or two things. One is to become a piano teacher, or two is to become a classical pianist. And I realized that neither were something that I was interested in. And, and I mean, honestly, the world of trying to be a, a classical musician, which is what I'm not, but I mean, that world is more fiercely competitive than the pop and country and rock world. Like, like how really? many classical, well, how many classical pianists do you know making a living at it? Like, I know this many. Yeah, <laughs> I would say the it's same. Not, it's not, it's not happening. And I mean, I also realized it was something that I, I, I just, I, I, when I saw the people who were doing it, it was just nothing I saw myself doing. So I, I after that year, I was grateful. I went off to uh, university in Saskatoon, University of Saskatchewan, and I studied um, science. So why did you go that route? Because you could have done anything, but why'd you go science route? I wanted to be a dentist uh, initially. <laughs> That's what I thought I wanted to be. And okay. Then, and then I, and then I got into it, and I, re- and then I was like, oh my god, I don't want to be a dentist at all. And so, um, but then I, what I, what, what I, I mean, I do believe everything happens for a reason. And what I was in was. Um, uh, I was taking a science degree, and I realized I really liked the the breadth of an arts and science degree. So I just got my uh, BSc honors in biology, plant biology, and um, and I loved it because I got to take uh, humanities and sciences and all these. And the, the general education was amazing. Um, and part of that degree was done in uh, Northern Ireland in Belfast um, through a scholarship too. And it was a great like I. You know, I discovered so much uh, living in, in Ireland, and now I have so many friends there. And, and you know, um, it, it, that was it was probably the highlight of my my, my life at that point, right? Um, but yeah, and, and so I I went my way back, got my degree, and then I ended up being uh, getting a job unrelated to music, unrelated to science in Toronto, um, doing doing marketing. And but but the, but the beauty of the path was that it it took me getting to Toronto to discover the singer-songwriter scene. And the singer-songwriter scene, what I found, it was like, it was like discovering how to, you know, build a rainbow in your bathtub. I was like, oh my God, look at these, like these people are like, they're these people who aren't superstars. They're, they're on a much lower level. They're writing their own songs. They're performing them around. They're touring. I, I'd never been aware of this before. And there, some of them are making a living. Some of them are doing it as a hobby. But this is a thing, and this had never been presented to me as a possibility up till that point in my life. And in fact, it's not just me. Like I meet people to this day, and I've been, I've been a professional, working, full time musician for 15 years now. And like people will pull me aside and they'll like they'll kind of, they'll, they'll say, it must be so hard. And I'm like, what? And they're like. You no know, scraping by, and I'm like, I don't live in a fridge box behind the Cornwall Center, like, like <laughs> behind the mall, like. But but most people in the world are very unaware that as a musician, you can make a living not being a superstar. And yeah, it's not you know you're not you're not you're not 
you know, living like Celine Dion. But that was never the intent. I make music because I love it, not because I want to be rich. If I wanted to be rich, I'd be an investment banker. Like, <laughs> there's other choices I'd have made. Well, not right now because the investment banker side is not doing that quite well with COVID. Very good point. Very good point. Yeah. yeah. So during your time in the University of Saskatchewan in Belfast, before you get to Toronto, are you performing or are you uh, just uh, uh, toying around by yourself, just uh, playing some music by yourself and you're not not performing i'm not performing at all i'm just i'm soaking up the world i'm going to school i'm um when i was in ireland i was discovering myself and drinking an awful lot good old guinness <laughs> if, if truth be told and uh and uh and then i, I you know came back to canada got, got got finished my degree and i quickly moved to toronto i had a I had a very brief job working in science and I didn't like it. And then I got this marketing job and off I went. And I was just, you know, I went from studying to having a job. The interesting thing about Toronto, two things happened there uh, musically. One is, uh, like, I, I also play the fiddle, which is, I don't play it a lot, but I but I do. Um, and so I started playing in Celtic bands. Like, I'd come, it made sense when, you know, my trajectory is that I came back from Ireland. So I was playing the fiddle and piano and singing in Irish bands. Um with all these Irish people, uh, displaced Irish people in Toronto. And, but, I, but I was also starting to noodle around in like discovering this singer-songwriter thing and writing my own songs. So I, I did, once I got to Toronto, I was performing and I was writing. It was nothing like I'm doing now, though. But every, every musician, singer-songwriter, person, performer, everyone looks back on a time of incubation when, you know, something was burbling away and percolating away and what it ends up coming out as you you never really know i mean even name name us name a name a, a performer you know they listened to you know say a hundred different artists and whatever like what comes out of an artist is some weird sum of all the things that's gone in and then you've processed and then something's coming out um so I think it's the same with life experience. You can go and do all these things and then stuff you sort of like you express what has happened and what you've taken in. That's what comes out of you. I mean, so, you know, in this time when I wasn't necessarily, you know, performing and like like you asked, I mean, I still think I was taking in the content that ultimately came out. So you get to Toronto, you start writing your own music for your for, for the first time, and you're I'm assuming you're going out and performing these songs that you're writing. Are you or are you not? Yeah, at some point I started to go and perform them. Yeah. So where did your so sitting down for the very first time and writing a song? Uh, what was that experience like? Well, it, I mean, I remember the first show. I remember the first show I did in Toronto because I was it was it was at the tail end of this job I had, and all my coworkers came, and so they're all sitting there in the art bar at the Gladstone Hotel, and they're like, it, it, it's packed. I mean, there's like a hundred people, and I mean, honestly, there's a lot of performers in Toronto who would who would really kill to have a hundred people in the room listening to them <laughs> to this day. And so they were all my coworkers, all right. It was easy, and so they're all there. They're all there listening to me. And I, and I like I don't think I've ever felt so vulnerable in my life. And there was this weird mix of vul vulnerability with um, appreciation. Because I was like, wow, these people could be doing something else, but they've chosen to come and listen to me. And I was very aware of that. But I also felt like I was like, I am sitting up here basically with no pants on. Like I'm so naked right now. Like they're gonna know things about me that they've never known from working with me for five years. Like it, it's it's really funny. So I learned a lot of lessons. In, in in that concert um do you remember where it was life, do you remember what bar yeah, it was it, it, 
It was in the art bar at the Gladstone Hotel at the corner of Queen and Gladstone. Um, horrible, horrible. Like, yeah, it's, it's now it's now renovated into a very fancy boutique hotel. But at the time, it was like a it was like the arse end of nowhere. And, and wasn't the, the bar, bar like not even bigger than a room, basically? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think I actually think there was no bar in the art bar. The bar was in the next room because it was so small. But I mean, they, they packed all these people in there. But the thing I'll never forget about it was the back of the stage was a curtain, and then there was this behind the curtain. There was like a there was a, a wall that had been roughed in with like studs and, and a and a and a sheet of plywood. But but on the other side of that was a bathroom. So so every time someone went to the bathroom and flushed the toilet you could hear it on the stage <laughs> and I'll never forget in this very quiet and the mics the mics were really hot uh, just to have the sound right in the room and I remember this very quiet moment in my, one of my songs at the start of the show I had this dramatic pause and someone flushed the toilet and you could hear it through the microphone <laughs> and I kind of I had this moment where I was like this isn't kind of how I pictured it <laughs> so what year is this what year are you uh, moving back to Toronto and uh, starting to perform well I mean I moved this is a long time ago I, I moved there oh god give me a second here nah, 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 like 99 so and a, so a few years before you release your first uh, uh, album yep exactly so do you release your first album in Toronto or do you move back to Saskatchewan at that time as well? I did a quick move back to Saskatchewan and I had my little record. The one you're referring to is called Songs from Highway 15. And two two songs on there. Uh, releasing that uh, as a new artist who's putting it out there for the world to take in. What was that? W- were you apprehensive at first or were you did you feel like, you know what? This is the best I can do. I'm happy with it. This is a great way to launch my career into the music industry. Uh, I think it's sort of some combination of those things. Um, Somewhere in the middle, maybe. Because what I... Like, I didn't know... I didn't... I mean, in... In hindsight, I didn't know what I was doing. Um, and I honestly, I, I honestly still think to this day, I think if you run into anybody in the music industry who tells you that they know what they're doing, I'd say run the other way. <laughs> because no one really knows what they're doing. You, everyone's just kind of guessing. Um, but but I really didn't know what to recording of songs inspired by people and places and and experiences I had on the prairies growing up, named it after the road that ran past my parents' farm, songs from Highway 15, I had enough wits about me to know these songs are probably going to land better on the prairies than they would in Ontario. So I moved back to the prairies to start singing the songs from these record, this record. I think, luckily, I was so blissfully unaware of the pressures that one could have on themselves, put on themselves, experience from others in releasing a new record. I was so like just ignorant of it all that I just started singing my songs and I, I, I don't know I just kind of thought well you know I literally gave myself a year and I said to myself you get a year and you might not be making enough money to make a living after a year but if I can see that this could be a viable thing then I know that's success um, and so I started singing my song, uh, you know whether it was like an evening in a church or a town hall or a cafe or a small town, whatever. I, like, honestly, I would sing for the opening of an envelope. Like, like, I would sing anywhere. And and what I did see after a year, I was like, there there seems to be an audience for this. And I mean, people started coming back 
to hear these songs again, which is kind of the ultimate sign that something's going on. Um, but it was hard. It was hard. I mean, I, I, I was eating a lot of canned tuna and um, um, it was it was tricky. But again, I, I was only doing it because I loved it. And that can that can be your only motivation. So you release that first album you're starting to tour like you said at the at an opening of an envelope i know some people who will do that and uh, you know what good for them because like you said if you have the passion do it um you start going forward let's let we're gonna put out a bigger album next time yes so what 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 drove you to say okay I, 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 I'm comfortable now. I feel like uh, I'm doing what I love. I'm going to start and I'm going to make sure the next album's bigger and it gets more play. So how did that happen? It was, it was I mean, nothing was nothing was really planned. I, I knew I wanted to make another one, um, I, I, mostly because I had, new, I had new songs coming out of me and I had new things I wanted to say and express. Um, the, the, the first song was very, the first album was very much about... Um, other people in places like not it was very looking outward the next record the lens seemed to be turning inward a little bit more so i had new songs and the question is for any musician always and will be to the end of time is how do you want to present those songs like who's going to produce them what are they going to sound like especially if you're like a a person who just sings and plays the piano like myself or say someone else who sings and plays the guitar you can surround that with anything like it like my songs could Literally, although I would not want to hear this, they could be a metal album. I would not want to hear that, but they could. Like, yeah, if I paired up with a metal producer, there could be a really bad metal album. But like, you know, they could be a folk record, they could be a pop record. What do you do? These are choices you have to make. And by hook or by crook, I ran into this producer at a songwriting workshop. His name was Justin Gray, and the workshop was in Regina. And um, he liked the songs I was singing, and uh, he was from Toronto. Um, and so, and he was, he was quite a pop producer. Uh, and so my second record, I decided to work with him. And so that record, uh, took a very poppy twist because that, you know, that was, that was his, um, uh, sort of the, 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 the palette he was working in. And were you comfortable with that? Because, uh, some musicians want to stick to their lane and they want to stick to what they know best. And for you, it might be classical, but you do have that folksy folk, uh, genre as well so when you meet a producer who wants to say okay we we like what you want but we want you to change and do pop so was it hard and was it also uh challenging because you don't really wouldn't you wouldn't uh, fall under that category when you were first starting out yeah it's funny like i think again i mean you're asking all the like t- totally the right questions that one that one should ask if they actually know what they're doing. <laughs> but but in all reality, I didn't I didn't give it a, uh, like that much thought. One thing I've always been I've enjoyed doing with each of my records is taking the piano vocal and surrounding it with something a little bit different. So I was like, to me, I thought, you know, this is my second time out. I want to make this a little bit different. And so worked with this guy. We made the record. It was pretty, pretty poppy sounding. Like it's certainly the poppiest record I've ever made because now everything's way more folk roots. But a really strange thing happened though, because this is like, you know, this is like 12 years ago and the music industry was a very different place then. And so I made this record. Um, there were some catchy short songs. Some of them just started getting played on pop radio across the country. I mean, this would never happen today, right? And so two of the songs off that record just started getting played. Like, I think I, I don't know, I sent out my CD literally in the mail or something to radio stations, and they just started playing it. And then we made a music video for, like, 
$500 in a back alley in Toronto. And it got into the top 10 on Much Music. Like, like I literally sent in a, a take of this video to Much Music. Like, so these, so, so because this music was produced in a certain way, and it sounded very, you know, polished and professional in that, in that lane. I mean, it started to build a pretty significant audience pretty quickly. And Anna, so I, I took note of that. I was like, well, that's pretty neat. Like, this is, this is what video play and radio play and charting can do for you. Um, and, you know, and, and the funny thing is, like, I did an online show last night. And some of the songs in that record, people were requesting them in this online show. And even though it, last night it was just me and a piano, and it, and it sounds very folky because it is, I mean, I'm still singing those same songs. So it's not like I regret, you know, having this really poppy record or anything. It was just, it was what I was what I was doing at that time. And I think any artist's uh, discography should have an arc and should sort of tell a, a lyric and sonic story of you know of where they've gone. So uh, you, you mentioned about three things that I want to dive deep into here. Okay. Uh, the first thing is um, when you sent out that uh, CD to the radio stations in Saskatchewan and across across Canada. Um, yep. Do you remember the first time hearing your own song on the radio? You know, I do. Like the the first time was actually on CBC. Yeah, CBC everywhere is such a great supporter of Canadian artists. So the first time I actually heard it was CBC. But the first time I heard it on pop radio, um, I was driving down College Avenue in Regina, <laughs> listening to Z ninety nine, and uh, on came my song "Hypnotized," and I literally had to pull over. I was like, "Fuck!" <laughs> what's happening? It was just a very different experience because, you know. Um, it's just you know that, because because that's the kind of station that plays like you know these superstars, if you will. You know, every now and then CBC does too, but CBC sort of play generally playing this wonderfully eclectic uh, array of music, and and it's often not a lot of superstars. It's just great songs, right? Yeah. But but so having your song in in the mix of this radio station that is typically kind of playing the superstars, it's just weird um, in a fun fun way, right? Um, and but then weirder was then when the video got into the top ten for Canada. That was that was weird. And did you see it? Like, did you know that it was going to be on uh, Much Music before you saw it, or did they tell you, "Hey, we're putting you in rotation," or did it just sort of you were clicking through and someone called you and said, "Hey, you need to turn on Much Music right now because you are on it." Yeah, someone <laughs> someone literally phoned me and said. Your song hypnotizes in the Much Music countdown, and I was like, "What are you talking about?" Like, because it's it's not like the email like they did they they didn't email me initially and say we've added your song. I think eventually someone did and said, "Yeah, your song's in, in medium rotation on Much Music," and I was like, "Oh, that's weird. Um, that, that's great, but weird." But someone actually saw it first and like phoned me. Uh, and, and and told me and I was like this is crazy so then I had to sit there watching <laughs> until I could see it you didn't have YouTube back then when you could just see everything on rotation it's hey no you have to sit there for two hours until your song comes up again exactly and then to take a picture of it with your with, with your with your camera <laughs> and then go get it developed <laughs> exactly exactly I, I shouldn't joke because we have come a long way but I do oh, miss those days I know um, yeah so you've made it big on TV now you're on the radio station you're a small town boy still though how, how does your life change at this moment do you start getting recognized in your hometown or do people just treat you the same way do they say hey I saw you on much music or hey I heard you on the radio here can you sign this uh, album or are people still treating you as that young recital kid from when you were growing up 
Well, it was. I mean, it wasn't really that. I mean, I'm. I mean, the young recital kid when I grew up, I was. I was. You know, that was really who I was in in my little town of Punishai, Saskatchewan. When I was living in Regina, I, like I'd come back from Toronto, I'd move back to Saskatchewan. I was in Regina. You know, even though it's only a couple two hundred and thirty thousand people. I mean, at the time, still like you know, it's, it's not like I I could. You, you wouldn't get mobbed. People, you know what I mean? Um, but I mean, people people were still people would say, "Yeah, I saw your video on TV or heard you on the radio." But I mean, that was it. They certainly weren't asking for an autograph or anything. Do you um, do you do you start touring at this time? Do you start saying, "Okay, we 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 have we have radio, we have TV. Now let's see if we can do a tour across Canada. See how well we can do here." Or have you done one yeah. prior to that? We started. We started with Western Canada, and what happened first was, um, you know, once again the power of video TV. Uh, an agent from a, a big one of the big three agencies in Canada saw that video, and he literally phoned me. <laughs> I don't know how he found my phone number. And he's like, "Hey, I saw your video on TV. Do you have an agent?" And I was like, "Nope." <laughs> like, this does not happen, especially now. Like, this does not happen. And I was like, "No." And he's like, "You looking for an agent?" And I was like, "Yeah, I guess so." <laughs> <laughs> sure. Don't know who you are, but sure. <laughs> yeah, th- this. Uh, Sounds great. And so, yeah. And I mean, honestly, I'm with him to this day. Like really? 12 years later. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, and so. You never hear that, too, that a person stayed with an agent for that long. Nope. 12 years later. And it's like same agent. It's a great relationship. He's at Pekin. Um, he was in the Winnipeg office at the time. Now he's in the Toronto office. And a great guy. Um, and he still he still books me. Um, and so. But but again, that, that video playing on, on TV, like. It, it, it's just, it's just it's the weirdest thing and it all goes back to your question of like you know what kind of record was that was was i going to make you know then which was which is why i brought that up but yeah it's it's funny so so but but flashing forward to your question about the touring so then my a- agent who i acquired he set up this western canadian tour and we went out playing and i mean you know you do these these first tours and like really even if you have a bit of radio play and a bit of video play it's not it's not like people are climbing into rooms to see you. I mean, we did that tour to basically nobody, you know. Um, but you're getting your feet wet, going on the road, playing songs for pretty empty rooms, sleeping in crappy motels, or, or you know, borrowing couches and beds from friends. <clears throat> and what you do get from that is a snapshot of what touring really is actually like. You know, and you have to once again you have a chance. What I signed up for, and I was like, absolutely, um, because I'm all about you know persisting and 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 building and 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 I'm like I'm in the long game. I'm not. In, I've never been in this for the short game. My trajectory is like 30 years long. So I was like, this is my starting point, and I really, I really, really enjoyed it. So yeah, Western Canada was the first tour. So you get back from that tour, do you go right back into the uh, studio to start recording the third or fourth album? Or do you say, okay, we're going to take some time off, start uh, touring in Eastern Canada, see if we get a a good reception there? Or what's the next process? Um, You know, I played just a lot of one-off shows, uh, like a lot of one-off shows here and there in Ontario, here and there in the prairies. Um, you know, and I, I've actually, I probably do a lot more one-off shows than I do sort of like long tours. So I did, I did a lot of more one-off shows and it sort of racks up more experience doing like doing live performances. Um, those sort of turn into ideas for new songs. And I think songs percolated over a long time of like, the writing was interspersed with shows. 
And so then ultimately I had enough songs during that interspersed writing. Finally, I was at a point where I was like, okay, I've got enough songs here that I like. And now it's time to make a new record. And I, then I had to go through that whole choice again, which was, well, what's this one going to sound like? How do I do this one with? And which, which album is this? Is this Vagabond? Uh, what, no, it's one before that called Under the Soles of My Shoes. Okay. Um, every uh, When I was working in Lloydminster, whenever I would speak to a musician who was coming through, um, one of the things I would always uh, hear them say is, my main goal when I first started off was to get on Telemiracle in Saskatchewan. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. <laughs> so I, 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 I can't not ask the question, was that yeah. a main goal for you? And when did you get that call? <laughs> You know, it's funny. Um, it's a bit of a blur when I when that hit my radar or something I wanted to do. But I've been doing it now for eight years, uh, hosting, hosting and performing on the show. Um, it's uh, and for those of your 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 podcast listeners who don't know what it is, uh, Telemiracle is is a Kinsman Connect, a, like 20 hour telethon in Saskatchewan that happens like one day of every year. It's been going on for 43 years. And in that 20 hours, they raise between five and seven million dollars from people phoning in pledges, and it is the most wonderful thing ever. Um, all the money goes is, is for charitable uh, uses, and it's the most so, unique as well because no other province does that. No other province does it, and here's some great perspective that um, strong, stronger together, Tucson Psalm Canada-wide concert that just played uh, all across the country. Biggest broadcast event in Canadian history. One in three Canadians during that broadcast across the entire country, one in three Canadians watching, they made six million bucks. Tell a miracle, one month before, just in Saskatchewan with less than 10% of that audience made the same amount of money. Like, it is the most phenomenal thing and the generosity of people in Saskatchewan just, like, it floors you. Anyway, that's just like me. I, I, I'm very passionate about Telemiracle. But but, but to your point, the whole the whole Telemiracle Telethon is based on local talent performing. Um, there, there's a, there's a, a cast host, uh, a host, a cast of hosts who sort of keep it flowing but then there's these people who come across the stage and each sing one song, and they're from all these communities across the province. And it it is on every performer, and every performer from Saskatchewan has it on their radar that at some point in their career they want to sing on this show. And I, at some point, got a call from them to say, "Would you, you know, would you uh, come and would you be interested in being part of this national this this cat this these uh, this cast that hosts the show? Like not just to come and sing one song, but host it." And I was like, "Oh, this is kind of an amazing thing." And I went my first year and I wasn't very good at it, but I just sort of, I watched a lot and I, and I've sort of grown into the role and now I really like it. And I'm, you know, I, I, I get a kick out of it, but a couple of years ago, the producer pulled me aside and he said, look what I found. And he dug out this folder that I had mailed him like, like, like 10 years ago, like pitching myself to, to the show. <laughs> and it was horrible. Like there were these horrible photocopied eight by 10 photos. Like it was, it was really awful, but, but it was funny to look back on it and just be like, Oh my God, I was so desperate. <laughs> but every story I've heard you speak about so far in our 40 minute interview so far is I just mailed it out and it happened. So <laughs> what's the worst that could happen? Right. I mean, uh, but here's the thing. I'm telling you the stories of I mailed it, you mailed it out and it happened. What I'm not telling you the story <laughs> of is that I mailed it out and it didn't happen because 
those stories are very boring. <laughs> <laughs> but still, like, it's one of those ideas that if you don't put yourself out there, people don't know, right? And the worst that people can True. say is no. <laughs> that, you know, but you, you literally said a lesson that I learned very early on. And it came in tandem with acquiring a very thick skin. But I did learn very on that the that the worst someone can say is no. And that that that's a it's a lesson that I think the music business is is <clears throat> is weird and it's difficult and it's really it's hard and it's it's a it's not forgiving. Um, and for my random survey of Jeff stat that I throw out there is that if for every yes you get in the music business, you hear nine, you first heard 99 no's. And so absolutely what you just said is absolutely true. The worst someone can say is no. At the same time, you better get used to people saying no, because because the, the quote I'll give you that lies somewhere between these two things is you can be the brightest reddest juiciest apple on the tree but some people just don't like apples (laughs) and that's all there is to it and you got to learn that lesson um but it's it's very important so um you've hosted telemiracle you you're touring cross country um the thing i find fascinating about your story is you're still doing those intimate house parties yeah like for someone of your stature why why do that do you still get enjoyment out of those totally i mean it's funny i i actually get asked a lot why do you still do house concerts like people ask me this all the time and and i mean generally those people who ask that have never been to a house concert uh for starters but but and not that that's a criticism but i mean by their very nature I get such joy out of doing house concerts. And I mean, what I think what I realize is the reason I, I pursue music is that it brings me joy. Like the reason I like to perform in a theater to seven or 800 people is because it brings me joy. The reason I like to sing in someone's living room is because it brings me joy. And I mean, there is something very special about playing for 30 or 40 people who are crammed into a living room on sofas and chairs and, and you know fold out chairs and you're in the corner with your piano solo you can see the expression on every single person's face you can see when they're glazing over you can see when they're engaged you can see when all they really want to do is refill the drink like there's there's something really great about that um it's a great way to test drive songs it's a great way to um, you know, get to really know people really well. You can build like fierce fans fast at a, at a house concert because at the break you're all stuck in the same space together. They can't run away to the lobby. Um, I, you know, and and, and uh, ultimately, uh, I'm a uh, like I'm an extrovert. I'm, I'm a, I get my energy from other people, prob- probably for worse, not for better. But I mean, I, I require other people to get my energy. So I mean. It's the best situation for me. I mean, there we are. <laughs> we, we can't get away from each other. So I, I really do enjoy them. Um, at the same time, like you said, I, I do a lot of bigger shows too, but I really enjoy the small ones for that reason. And you do festivals as well. Uh, you've been to do, doing numerous folk festivals across Canada. Um, a show is a show to anyone. Mm-hmm. You get different experiences from each of the different shows that you might perform at. Like you said, for the more intimate house parties, you can perform your new songs, te- test drive them, see how they work. Uh, but for festivals, you, you're going on and you're uh, one of many artists who are doing that, uh, who are on a lineup. Do you, do you get something different from doing a festival 
than that you do from a house party? It's a good question. Festivals do feel a little bit different to me. And I wonder if I can put my finger on how. I mean, I mean, part of part of why I like a concert is that like what part of what I like what I like about concerts is that you can you get to create an experience and 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 you you define the start, you define what it feels like from the the very start of the the performance, like the time of a performance happening, you define the start, you define the middle, you define the end. And while you can also do that at a festival, the thing at a festival though is who like someone is invariably who is before who's before you is invariably different than you. And so they've created a vibe and a feeling and a whatever that is going on and, and you know that energy is going out and swirling around the audience and doing what it's supposed to do but it's different than yours so for the first bit of your set at a festival there's always this funny buffer time when the audience has to point with you know and and uh I mean, it's necessary, but I find it annoying. <laughs> and, and similar to someone who's going on after you as well, because they're now trying yeah. to figure out how you have performed and work the audience to their work, but also make sure that their uh, the audience's uh, feedback that you got is still going forward to the next person. Yes, yes, yes. And I mean, and there is a there is a way that that can be done with the with the with you know with the, the previous performer in mind and i'm kind of learning this like where you can sort of like transition from the previous performer and and then and then sort of uh you know transition out to the next performer you can sort of do that a little bit but i mean at the same time you want to make your slot your slot and you want to try to you know uh, help the audience experience what it is that you'd like them to experience but you're bookended by things that are very different than you so a festival by its nature, is just different. I mean, I like them. It's just, it's just, it's just a very different thing than a, than a one-off concert. But you're very you're very observant to ask that. Uh, do you do you perform? Uh, I I played piano when I was a kid. Uh, I I've been trying to get my husband to allow me to buy a piano for the house, but he refuses because he <laughs> feels like I am uh, going to destroy the ears of him and the dogs. <laughs> <laughs> Well the, well, the only reason I ask that is because I mean, I, 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 I don't. That's uh, you've asked several questions I've never been asked before, which I'm, which I'm very excited about. But that one, that's a, that's a very good observation because it's, it, it is a very different experience doing a festival performance versus like a concert. Be- the only reason I ask that is because I've been to numerous. Uh, originally uh, from Ontario, I went to festivals back in Ontario, then moved to Lloydminster, and I did the Dog Patch Music Festival up north in up north Saskatchewan. Yeah, yeah. So I went there. I, uh, I and and then in uh, on uh, up north and on Alberta, I did the northern oh north oh, North Country Fair. Yes. Yes. So, and it was actually in my, the town that I lived in of all 200 people at the time, but at that festival made it like four times bigger than it originally was. So, yay. Yeah. <laughs> um, when I, when I, when you go to festivals, you can see the hesitation on the first song of artists. And by the third or fourth song that they're playing, they are more comfortable. They're more relaxed yep. and they're more engaging with the audience because that first song is how do I hit it out of the park that people will engage with me? Yep. And then by the fourth song, you're like, okay, I got this, guys. Yeah, that's exactly how it goes. And 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 that first song, I mean, and it's it's really and and you wanna you wanna come out of the the starting blocks, you know, in in fine running shape. But I mean, you're also like it's really hard, like to to get your mind in 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 that mindset of like, 
okay, now this is my this is my little time to do my my thing now because we're all human beings, you know. At the end of the day, and we, we're all sort of processing what we've, what we've all just experienced with the previous performer. Like the audience is the performer is like you know it, it, this stuff has to happen. But 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 good observation. Yeah, it, it's it's a funny thing. It, it's to me, it's the trickiest part of performing at festivals. But but like you you hit the nail on the head though. Like by this, you know. It can be somewhere in the second song, I think, for me. Somewhere in the second song, I'm like, okay, I get this now. Yeah. But I mean, there's, no matter how many times I do it, there's that there's that buffer. So we are going to move now into uh, your new album. Sure. Which uh, was supposed to be released in uh, this month, in May, but with COVID-19, it's been pushed back. Um, yeah. But you did release a new song to uh, in March, March 27th of this year. You released a yeah. new song. Um, I just want to make sure I got the right name. Uh, uh, light, light, light your fire. Light a fire. Light, light a fire. Um, first off, was this originally the first song that was supposed to be released from the album, or with everything else going on in the world? Because you do talk about on your website that you hope people get something from this in this gray time. So was this a was this first single from the album pushed up because of everything going on in the world or was this originally your plan to release it as the first single of the album um it's a it's it, i mean it's interesting it's it, it it's weird because it's it's actually technically the second single from the record okay I, that's I, what but, i wanted but, to talk about as well because one foot on main street was released in 2019 yes. and i wanted to know if that yes. had was part of the song as well it's part of the record, yes. So, so you, you're, you, you, like, no dust is settling on you, young man. <laughs> so, so it's true. So, one foot on Main Street um, will be on this record, and it's a, you know, it's a rootsy folk story song about being from a small town. Um, and it, it'll be that'll be on this record now. It, that was released in September of last year. Then I was going to release another one uh, around January, but there's a whole bunch of reasons why they didn't happen. So when it came time uh, to March to release the next song, I knew it was going to be this song, the, the "Light It Light a Fire." Um, it's a co-write with Royal Wood. I, I, it's a it's a song with a great message about making you know positive change in your in your life. It's an anthem for positive change, if you will. Now. The, the backstory to the song actually came out of um, uh, uh, the horrible life experience I had last year of losing my, my mom um, and, 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 and being really close to someone while they're you know going through a, a very sudden illness and, and ultimately passing away. I, I had a whole, an awful lot of insights given to me, I think, sort of as gifts of the horrible situation. And it was just like the, the notion of time being so short and what should you do with it? And it's so so the, the song comes from that experience now it's the thing about it is that message is very translatable into this current situation we're in because i think what has happened is that we've been told for our entire lives like you know uh, for sure for sure since world war ii but but really longer we've been told oh we've got this all figured out western world um, really the world you know we've got this figured out we've, we've built an, e an economic system here's how it works here's the textbook for that here's how our banking works here's how our governments work here's how the, here's how this works here's the infrastructure here's healthcare blah 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 we've got it all figured out and, we're all, and we all nod our heads and said oh yeah we've got this all figured out and then all it took was an invisible little goddamn virus to tell us we've got nothing figured out <laughs> as a matter of fact we don't have banking figured out we don't have governments figured out. Like we've got nothing figured out, and and so, to me, what that, what, but the big, the big aha in all of this was, I hope we realize we should 
like there's not there's there's way less certainty than we think there is like i've i've really been living my last 10 years in like in the way of I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I have no idea. And especially when mom died last year, I really realized when, when she went from perfectly healthy to gone in two weeks, I really realized, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And since I don't know what's going to happen in two weeks, I might as well make today pretty darn good. And so that's that's where the song came from. And so it was so translatable into this COVID time that uh, it just it seemed like a bit of a, a gift to have you know this context to launch it into because a lot of people are seeing themselves in it. So the reason... <laughs> Your last album, uh, uh, Dirt Road Confessionals, had a song on yep. it that is relatable to Light a Fire as well. Beauty in the Grey. Yeah. So I, I, I'm seeing a theme here. I'm seeing that you have an outlook on life and when it comes to writing where, you know what, while things are bad, things are not uh, working the way they should be, we should be able to find a way to look on the positive with Beauty in the Grey, with Light of Fire. So was is that something that you've always been able to... Uh, uh, Emulate, or was this uh, with the, your untimely passing of your mother, sort of pushing it a little bit more openly now? Oh, you know, that's a, I mean, I've I've been more of an optimist than anything for as long as I can remember. Um, Beauty in the Gray um, is re- that that song? It, it is a it's a very optimistic song too, but that one's more of about. You know, it's it's a bit of a, a bit of a uh, a different a different slight viewpoint on this, and that it says you know, some days I work for dollars, some days for dimes, and it's a song literally about being a musician on the road touring. I've rolled downhill, aimed for stars, braved the steep inclines. I followed fate through the shadows, seeking beauty in the gray. I've got wandering in my bones, and I'll let go, let my heart lead the way, and that that is just literally about. There is so much on like the gray refers to like the un, the, the the unknown out there. Like we, you, we all start the day not well. We we ha- have a rough idea of what's going to happen, but not really. But we can look for the good in things, or we can look for the bad. Yeah, that's what that song's all about. This light of fire is is just sort of it's a spin on that. It's more about like you know we got we got a, a, a set amount of time here. Let's let's use it. Let's use it to our best. So I mean, they're both they're, they have different messages, but they certainly both are optimistic. Um, yeah, maybe maybe I'm just an optimist, an optimist at heart. I well, I, I, I can say right now that uh, Beauty in the Gray was played at my the wedding of my husband and I because when it came out, I I, I fell in love with it. I like I sing it all the time in the basement, and my my I'm not I, I can play I can play instruments, but I cannot sing worth a passion. And my husband sent me a text message a while back said it sounds like you're killing cats down there, so please stop. So. <laughs> <laughs> Just a heads up that well, it does have a meaning to our uh, relationship because uh, and he was the minister of culture and tourism. So I made him sit and listen to that whole album a few times during her courtship. <laughs> that's good. Well, first of all, I'm very flattered that the, that the song uh, played a role in your in your in your wedding. Yep. Wow, that's yeah. amazing! Oh my gosh, um, I'm very flattered. Um, when the DJ asked for what music, I, I gave them a list of your music, and they went, "Who is this?" And I was like, 
You will learn. You will learn. <laughs> that's hilarious. Well, thank you. Um, but uh, but and and that's also that that that's uh, it's really cool to know not only that you use it as part of the wedding, but that you that you see uh, um, something in the message of it too. That's a. Uh, that 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 that's, that that means a lot. That's great. Thank well, you even much. like the whole like the whole like I'm from a small town in Ontario, and the whole dirt road confessional it spoke to the living of small town, right? And I think that's yeah. where I, I connect it with, it. and I think that's where people connect with your music is because you're not from uh, Toronto or Montreal or Regina or Saskatchewan. You're from a small town, and your music emulates that small town feel and your story is emulated in your music as well well cool i'm glad i'm glad you hear that that's that's very that's that's good to know i mean because the funny thing is you certainly don't i don't set out trying to sort of do anything i'm just sort of like letting come out of me what's coming out of me but it's um uh it's good it's 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 good to hear that that's what's being heard i I, I like that a lot well i'm glad um but back to the song uh light of fire what was it like working with royal wood jesus that was my working with him. Um, he's a great guy. He's he's wonderfully talented. Great great writer. Great musician. Uh, plays plays guitar really well. Plays piano as well. Um, really great singer. But he's particularly a really gifted songwriter. I, I I'd say, um, and I think many would agree with me. And um, and I, and I really I got a lot. The first time I worked with him, which was which was for a couple songs on Dirt Road Confessional, uh, the songs Bravery and Deliver Me. Um, we co-wrote both of those, and I just really enjoyed working with him. And um, we kind of sort of you know hit it off on a, on a work level, right? And so then when it came to looking at doing a couple co-writes for this record, um, I hit him up and I said, you know, would you be interested in doing this again? And he said, oh, absolutely. So we carved out some time to do it. And I mean, Light of Fire was is one of the ones we co-wrote. Um, it, so it's now the second single. Um, it happened really fast. Like the actual writing happened really fast. I think it was started and done in two hours. Wow. Um, I think I went in with the title Light of Fire. I had a couple of lyric lines and I had the hook, which is dee 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 dee. Um, and really, then the rest we wrote in two hours. It was very fast and I'm very proud of the song. The other one is a song called Believer. And it's a song about my mom. Um, and interestingly, Royal had um, quite recently lost his father um, in an unrelated way, um, but had been through you know that experience of losing a, a parent. And so we were just in very a very similar headspace about this sort of thing. So Believer um, is the other one that we wrote. You know, it's it's uh, slower, sadder. But we were just, you know, both feeling this thing that sort of also came about very, very, very quickly. The song was also written quite quickly. So, yeah, um, I really enjoy working with them, and I, and I, ho- I hope I can do it again. So you mentioned something there. Uh, this song took uh, Light of Fire took two hours to write. But traditionally, uh, other songs, do you walk around with the lyrics just going through your head or is the tune going through your head first? Hmm. It cha- that changes. Um, for whatever reason, recently I have lyrics going through my head first. Um, every now and then, the melody will go through my head first. But I, I would say recently it's been lyrics. But in very quick succession, a, mel- a, a, a bit of a melody will come to the lyric. 
not like all the lyrics aren't written first, but it'll be like a snippet of a chorus or something. Like I'll get a, a phrase, and I, typically it's the word that's coming to me first, and it might end up being, say, like the title line or you know something. But that a melody will come for that. And then the rest of the song sort of comes after. That's what's been happening recently. But but it's changed over time. Like I've had whole a whole lyric come for a whole song first and then set that to music. Um, I've had a music idea that then I put up put a lyric to. But but recently, yeah, it, it's it, yeah, it, it changes. This new album, uh, I, it, I usually don't have notes with when I do interviews or questions, but I do research. And the one thing I couldn't find is a title for the new album. Do you have a title yet or has it not been released yet? It's not been released yet. There is a title. Um, if, if truth be told, the, the CDs and vinyl are all press. <laughs> So the whole thing's done. Just, just you know. It's just sitting um, in a box somewhere waiting to be released. They're sitting in a warehouse waiting to be released. Um, but so, so yes, there is a title. It's not like I've not, I don't think I've talked about it. You know, I haven't, I haven't released it anywhere yet. What I did tell people last night in my online in a Facebook live concert, um, I told people the, I, I played live a song in the concert and I told people it was a new song and I did mention it was the track one off the new record, but I didn't say the record title. So I'm keeping that a secret for, for a little while. Good to hear. Um, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So, so yeah, t- title chosen. Um, and, uh, but, but we won't talk about it just yet. Understandable. Um, we're moving into the conclusion of this show now. Um, looking back on your life so far, do you regret anything you've done or how your life has turned out so far? Oh, goodness. I mean, <laughs> I think everyone everyone has everyone has like regrets to some degree. I think it's just how much do you sit around and dwell on them? I think that's it. Like I think I think if you if you have things if you don't have things you've regretted, I don't think I don't think you've put yourself out there enough frankly like if you've not failed you've not tried hard enough <laughs> that's like, that's the, the, the reason i ask is uh, I, I heard an interview with an artist one uh, one like a few years ago and they said when i release an album i release an album with all number one hits in my mind every song could be a number one hit no matter where you put them the issue with them was only four or five songs off the album will be released as singles so they regret that that would never happen when you put an album together are you looking at the same thing all these are amazing all these could be number ones all these could be singles no 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 so so yeah so if your your question is like the 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 the, i mean there's sort of two questions here about the the singles and the regret thing i mean definitely not definitely not all singles i mean there are so many songs that not sorry, let me start that differently there are several songs that i sing in concert that get that re, that get requested the most at, at shows that were never close to being something like of a quote-unquote single like like songs that have become people's favorites at shows are far from being the single in fact the ones that end up often being the ones that connect the most like they just have a sort of a it's it's the meaning behind them like it doesn't have to be necessarily catchy it can be you know a, a good story ballad that can really sort of catch people like the hook can be the depth of the story you know and and often 
that's not the single. Um, so I, I, when I'm when I'm putting a record together, like an album of songs, I'm very conscious, or I try to be very conscious of the arc that the songs like that the song order is telling. And on this record in particular, I slaved for like I probably it probably took an extra couple weeks. Um, to figure out the, the song order because I, I just I knew something wasn't right and I had to, I mucked around with the order so much so and, and so yeah there, there's an arc to it there's, and, and, and in, in creating that arc I need some that aren't quote unquote singles I need them to be just like great moments of story that that um, sort of take the listener somewhere else now the flip side to this is over time, fewer and fewer and fewer people, because it's such a single-driven market, fewer and fewer people are listening to full albums. Um, but I'm very aware that there are still a lot of people who do, and for them, I'm making sure my whole album tells a story. Um, so that so that answers your single question. The, the regret thing, I mean, I don't know. I mean, the funny thing is, uh, there probably are certain songs here and there that, that I... It's not that I would regret a song. There, there might be lines in songs that I'm like, oh, you know, I really could have did better on that line or something if, if, if I've sang them. But I mean, part of part of what I, I think what you got to the place you got to get yourself to is to realize without those without making some of those things you might look back on as a mistake. Like those are where I've learned my biggest lessons. Um, my biggest lesson in how to do something better the next time didn't come from doing it really well the last time. It came from not doing it quite as well as I probably could have and 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 recognizing that and then having a point from which i can move forward and be like oh, i'm gonna improve upon that so yeah of course there's regrets here and there you know everyone everyone has them, everyone should but i try to look at them as places upon which i can move forward from versus sitting around dwelling in your uh rise through the music industry is a lot different than what um, musicians are finding today. Uh, they, Like you said, they don't take the ch chance on the up-and-coming artist who has just released a single, an album, a music video. Like you said, you send out, uh, you, when you were first starting out, you sent out CDs, music videos on tape. What would you tell the artist who is struggling right now, who is just starting out, what would you tell them? Oh, you know, the funny thing is, it's such a different the the, the landscape is so different now than when I, than say 12, 13, 14 years ago when I was starting. But I, but I think the, the advice would probably be the same, and it's that it's the reason you're getting into this has to be because you love it, and like it. And, and you and you and you and you really shouldn't be worried about, you know, how can I how can I get a big big audience? How do I get more fans? You should be worried about you should worry about saying what what it is that you need to say in the best way possible. Recording that and and putting it out there and and singing, and singing your songs for whoever you can get to listen. And and I think if it's worth hearing people will come to hear it i I, re I really believe that and I, and I think even if even if more people are listening to music online now or, or, or whatever like i still think they're gonna find it and gravitate to it and people are gonna talk about it if it's something that should be heard i really do so really just worry about 
expressing what it is that you have to express in the best way possible um, and uh, and do it because you love it. And what would you tell 10-year-old Jeff Straker? <laughs> oh, my God. Um, don't don't sweat the small stuff. And, uh, and, and life is way better with glitter. <laughs> <laughs> I want to thank you for this. This has been enlightening. Uh, I, I, uh, I, I, I appreciate everything that you've been open about over the last hour and 10 minutes. So thank you very much. Thanks for your time. I love this. This was great. We, uh, we should do this again sometime. <laughs> hey, once you release the new album, I will certainly have you back on to talk about it. <laughs> okay, perfect. Awesome. Thanks so much. And uh, and when um, when uh, when this goes live, like, like let me know. I, I would so, love to post this up for people to listen to. Uh, I just want to make sure. I just I will pull up the date. <laughs> Not that uh, the twenty. 20- the 30th of May, last Saturday oh, of the month. Perfect. That's that's great. I'll make a note. So I'll send you a little message beforehand. But yet again, uh, Mr. Jeffrey Straker Esquire, much appreciated. <laughs> <laughs> Have yourself an excellent rest of the weekend, okay? Thanks so much. And once again, thank you to our guest for coming in and sitting down today. It was greatly appreciated. As I've said in the introduction, this podcast is about having a conversation. I learned a lot in this interview, and I really hope you did too. This podcast couldn't have happened without our listeners. From here in Alberta to across Canada and around the world, I want to take this moment and thank everyone for listening to this podcast. If you haven't already, be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. The links are in the show notes. Or visit our website at www.crossborderinterviews.ca. We will be back here next Saturday with another great episode of the Cross Border Interview Podcast. This podcast is produced and owned by Miranda Brown and Associates. I'm your host, Christopher Brown. Once again, have a safe and hopefully talkative week.